Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, Child and Teen Development Specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two amazing kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, each year, thousands of Americans choose to go through the adoption process to build their families. Those who know me know that my two children were both adopted by my husband and myself and also happen to be full blood siblings. Just a little bit over 12 years ago, we began that adoption process and went through the many feelings that come with adoption and for us, an open adoption with our children's birth family. We did it again just 16 months after that uh, with my son. Every adoption is deeply personal and different depending on who is involved and the decisions that the many people who are involved make along the way, making sure that the process ends with a well-cared-for, loved child. It's not a cookie-cutter process. Adoption is just a piece of what we're going to discuss today because there are some very important layers of discussion that my guest brings to light as well, and that is race and gender as it relates to fostering, adopting, and parenting in America. She puts high beams on the question, what are the challenges that single black women must face when fostering, adopting, and parenting in America? And a secondary question that we will also explore, which is how can we raise black boys in America understanding the racism and stereotypes that seem to be weaved into the fabric of American culture? We remember the past stories of young black boys senselessly killed, such as Trayvon Martin, but then hear recent accounts of young black men killed because they were jogging in a white neighborhood or a woman called the cops on a black man watching birds in Central Park because he requested that she leash her dog. How does a mother parent a black boy in America that assumes that black boys are doing the wrong thing even when they're doing the right thing? Or where my next guest writes, Wear a hoodie plus being a black male is synonymous with danger. This is an important topic for everyone. It changes if we are talking about a black woman or a black man who's raising the child, the foster care system that they're in. What do we have to think about when it comes to hypermasculinity? What are we thinking about when it comes to sexism? And how black boys are raised regard and regarded in today's culture we have to get talking about it and set some intentions to make the changes in our own lives in the way that we raise our children and in the way that we see other children in america for this i'm excited to have a conversation with nefertiti austin author and memoir hi. oh hi <laughs> <laughs> let me give you your let me give your bio because it's fabulous 
author and memoirist Nefertiti Austin writes about the erasure of diverse voices in motherhood. Her work around the topic has been shortlisted for literary awards and appeared in the Washington Post, Huffington Post, Mother, The Establishment, Essence.com, Adoptive Families Magazine, PBS, uh, to foster change and PBS parents. She was the subject of an article on race and adoption in the Atlantic and appeared on Huffington Post Live and One Bad Mother, where she shared her journey to adoption as a single black woman. Nefertiti's experience and expertise stems from firsthand experience and degrees in U.S. history and African-American studies. Nefertiti is a former certified PS MAP trainer where she co-led classes for participants wanting to attain a license to foster and or adopt children from the foster care system. An alumna of Breadloaf Writers Conference and Vona, her first two novels, Eternity and Abandon helped usher in the black romance genre in the mid-1990s. She's also the author of a 2019 memoir and parenting book, Motherhood So White, a memoir of race, gender, and parenting in America. So welcome, Nefertiti Austin, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you. Wow, what an, what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're pretty awesome. We, should need, we need to say what's going on here. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, it's good to talk to another adult. You know, we've been on quarantine here for weeks and weeks with the children. So it's yes. nice to speak to another grown up. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. But before we leap into all this great information, for those who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or read your books, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in talking about adopting? and mothering a black boy in today's culture as a single mother of color, the basis of your book, Motherhood So White? Well, let's see. I'll start with the first question, which yes. is the easiest. And these days, what gets me up in the morning are my two dogs. We have uh, Shih Tzu Poodles, Siddhartha and Monsieur Lafayette. <laughs> and if I don't let them out, no one will let them out. So that's what gets me up mm, in the plan. morning. Good plan. Yes. Yeah. And what keeps me sort of writing about adoption and race and gender is really the impetus for it all was my desire to become a mother through adoption. And so I made the decision and I'm such a nerd. I love to read. I love information. And I wanted to just get in, in a front row seat at an another woman's journey, someone who looked like me, who decided, you know, I want to adopt and I'm going to go the public adoption route. What does that look like? Smell like, taste like, what will conversations be like with family members and friends? And I kept coming up short over and over again. And so once my son was placed with me and, and as we got towards the finalization of his adoption and we got into our groove mother-son groove and I was beginning to feel more secure which is the biggest joke because I don't know that any mother really feels secure mm -hmm. yeah I was like wow but, that's great <laughs> yeah I was, I was pretending to feel secure in my new skin as mother mm -hmm. I began to write about just how annoying and upsetting and disgusting it was that in the 21st century it is a struggle to find mom narratives written by women of color, women who look like me, mm -hmm. especially given 
the role of black mothers in this country. I so appreciate what you're saying. And I have to actually admit that I have been on a quest to involve more people of color on my podcast and looking for more books Mm -hmm. written by people of color. So more parenting books and have them on my podcast to diversify the voices that we have here. And I also felt like there are not enough represented. So I so appreciate you talking about that, putting high beams on that, and actually doing something about it. (laughs) Well, I think that, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention of invention (laughs) yes exactly so uh, I kind of felt like I had no choice I got started writing never dreamt that it would be a book and then somewhere around 2011 began to think oh well maybe it could be a book and so I had a different idea of what that meant and so my book totally evolved from another space but since I started writing about it in, let's see, 2009, I think, there are more books now, like in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. you, you can probably find, okay, I might be, this might be generous, 12 books in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. but I would say in the last decade, maybe there are 13 or 14 titles that are available, and that's a big maybe that are written by uh, Black Mothers specifically. Now, there Mm -hmm. are books that are written by like adoptees. The Korean community does a very good job of writing about their experiences. But for us, um, yeah, we're still sort of Mm -hmm. we're we're pulling up the rear. Well, I'm going to be excited to get some names from you. And I I, I mean, obviously, we've had we have some, but I'm just looking to expand. So all right. So you talk about some cultural knowns or norms in the okay. black community in your book that sort of unofficial adoption is is normal when the adoption happens within the extended family. And you talk about things like there are safe careers to push your black children into, including doctor and lawyer. These are sort of like norms that people, you know, just embrace. When you decided right. to go through foster care and adoption, you were breaking a cultural norm by adopting right. outside of the community, outside of those you knew. And you could really have used some advice back then, but couldn't find any. Yes. Right. So right. what was it like for you to adopt outside of your community? And what is because I know when in your book, you talk so much about like talking directly to those people who are single moms or single moms of color. So what is your advice to those who are single moms or single moms of color who want to adopt, but aren't really sure that they can do it? I think that if adoption is something you are called to do, I think you should answer the call. It's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. The foster care system is certainly fraught with problems, but there are a lot of beautiful children who need a home. They need stability. They need love. And you have to be willing to stay in it, be patient, and remain very focused on your objective. So if your objective is to make a difference in a child's life, then you have to be prepared to block out 
noise from people who care about you often and it is their fear that gets in the way of good advice and don't be talked out of something that you want to do Mm -hmm. yeah i i'm thinking of you know some of the 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 noise that you got i also got plenty of it when we were (laughs) talking about the beginning of adoption even from the the lawyers and the professionals that would tell us I still remember being in one office where they were like what are you willing to accept that's how they put it what are you willing to accept like like these kids were going to be like you know just the cast-offs of like the leftovers or you know Mm -hmm. just what was not acceptable in society what are you willing to accept uh, it took yeah, us another terrible. yeah it took us another year before we we really dove in but um and i know you received some some people say oh even from your brother like why do you want to adopt a crack baby so right. how did you deal with the the noise how did you block out that information so that you could stay focused on what you wanted to do well i definitely armed myself with information And so the PS map classes uh, that I had to take were definitely incredibly informative. So I received information in the training classes. And then on my own, I read about the mythical crack baby and Mm -hmm. about how it's really the environment that perpetuates the problems that the children have. And that children who are placed in a loving, stable home generally by third, fourth grade, you can't tell the difference Mm -hmm. between a child who may have been drug exposed Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. uh, had a chaotic, you know, first few months, first Mm -hmm. year or so. And so I felt confident that I could provide a stable, loving home because ultimately that's what my grandparents provided for me. So I was able to withstand it. It's, It's not to say it wasn't annoying. It was. It was maddening. It was frustrating to hear that especially from black people, given all the stereotype we are subjected to all of the time. Mm-hmm. But again, the fear mongering in the media, it that's a power that's often hard to overcome. Mm-hmm. So but I am um, I just armed myself with info. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you talk about this was something I resonated with, but you talk about ha- not having the luxury of complaining as a new mom. And mm-hmm. I certainly felt that way um, as well, having gone through the adoption process. And you feel like, well, after I've done all of this, and I also had like many years of, of infertility and fertility, like the, the miscarriages, all kinds of things. So like finally coming to the point where uh, we had successful adoptions, I felt like I could certainly not complain and that I was supposed to feel blessed and happy every moment because even when the road was hard. Sure. And, and you realized that this was a mistake that you, you know, you can't, you can't, (laughs) and of course it's a mistake. I mean, who can operate like that? So, I mean, who could be grateful for every moment? So what did you learn from the fostering and adoption process that you really want others to know? I mean, that's a myth. So what else? What else do we need to know that like, that is just yeah, garbage right there? Right. Well, okay, you touched on one of it. And it's, it's, it's about the children. They're not the dregs of society. They're not the bottom of the barrel. You're not doing them a favor. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, you're not their savior. <laughs> so I don't subscribe to that. And I think the other thing is it's a relationship. And in any relationship, you have your good days, you have your bad days, and it doesn't change the love you have for each other. But there are times when you get on each other's nerves or as a parent, you've said, please don't, please stop, mm -hmm. please do. So you were and here this morning is what you're saying? You were listening <laughs> in to my heart? Yes. Like, how did you know? Yes. <laughs> and and they ignore you. And <laughs> it's frustrating and annoying. And that's okay. I mm -hmm. mean, that's life. And I try to remind myself, like, okay, it's going to pass. And mm -hmm. tomorrow's a new day. Or an hour from now is a new minute. And let's try to start over. And you and I are very similar in the way we speak. I even tell my kids every day is a new day to try again. Yep. Every day you can try again. No problem. Yes. yes. I can say that to myself. If I, if, honestly, everybody who knows, everybody who knows this podcast knows I talk about do overs all the time. We all need oh, them. Yes. All yes. need do-overs mess up royally so yes I appreciate that so and then as a mother mm -hmm. what would you say was one of the biggest lessons that you've you've learned that being a mother has taught you being a mother has taught me that there is real strength in asking for help mm. and because I had made such a stand by breaking code, adop adopting children I didn't know, and really committing to, okay, this was my decision, so it's all on me. That was a huge mistake. And so I would ask for a little bit of help, but I didn't really ask for the help that I needed. Mm -hmm. And so I have learned that there is strength in asking, in waving the white flag and saying, you know what? I need a break mm -hmm. or I need support or I need advice. And I have several friends that I will call or I will send a text to and I will say, we are not going to make it. Help mm -hmm. me. And, <laughs> I'm not going to make it here. Will, you know, send back some good advice. Mm -hmm. You're going to be okay. You're going to get through it, that sort of thing. Or I can ask, hey, when your son was this age or your daughter was this age, did they do such and such? Because I'm worried that something's wrong with us. And, um, and they will allay my fears with, no, 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 it's, it's okay. You know, you're all right. And they, the kids are all right. So, you, you even talked about in, in the book when, uh, your son was not peeing standing up and you were like really worried about this situation, which I was like giggling to myself because I could so see myself having that same reaction, um, be like, Oh gosh, you know, what am I going to do about this very large problem? <laughs> yes, yes, that was a huge deal to me. And of course, in hindsight, I don't know what the big deal was, but but in the moment, I was like, oh Lord, I'm ruining him because he sees me and he thinks this is the way to do it and what's going to happen when he gets to school. Yeah, all of that. Right, and, and that really brought up, uh, you know, some issues that, you were trying to deal with, which which was that your son didn't have a father in his life or in his home. So right. for those people who are listening, they're sort of in that same boat where they're mm -hmm. a single mom raising a child or specifically a boy. What mm -hmm. advice do you have for them? 
as they are raising a boy, maybe want a father figure in their lives, but don't have a spouse or a significant other who is up for that challenge? I would suggest that you find a male or men you trust and talk to them first and just be honest about what your needs are because there are conversations that are going to resonate with my son if it comes from his coach or if it comes from his friend's dad. I could say the same thing and he absolutely does not hear me. Oh my gosh, and, so and, true, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I'm very clear on that. I'm not a man. Mm -hmm. I have no aspirations to be a man. Mm -hmm. So I know that there are things I have to hand off, especially as he's getting older and, and, and reaching puberty. I have to hand those things off yes. to men whom I trust, but also more importantly, men he trusts. Mm. And so when they're little, you know, as a mom, you can, you can pick that person for them. And then as they get older, they get, you know, you could maybe set the pool and they choose from the pool you set, but you have to choose men whom want to be that safe space for your child mm -hmm. and, and for you and won't ridicule you or make you feel crazy because you don't know the answer to things or, you don't know how to show them how to do certain things. And that you, and then also that they uphold your values yes. and will will speak in a way that you would say, yes, like I can get yes. on that train. Like that, Absolutely. that is exactly how I think. Or, I mean, at least I would agree with what you're saying. And I, right. I, I've never really thought about this, to be honest, but I agree mm -hmm. with what you're saying. and What you're saying makes sense. So and, right. and that's an important role. Um, yes. And, and for really anybody, I would say that for those people who have who do have uh, a father figure that maybe lives in their house, but maybe it's not the one that is fulfilling all sure, of the right. needs. I mean, you talked about in your book that your own grandfather who helped to raise you wasn't a, a huggy kind of no. man. So that no. even having that, like you had other people in your life who right. were more affectionate um, and that right. you wanted that for your for your son. Absolutely. And it's funny because those things follow you, you know, into your adulthood. So my grandfather who raised me was not touchy-feely at all. But my dad's dad was, mm -hmm. and but you know we saw them of course, but I didn't see him every day, mm -hmm. and so I have become more affectionate, yes. and largely because my friends and my son, he, if you were to meet him, he and I are a lot alike. He's very reserved and he's sensitive, and seemingly unaffectionate, but with me, he's very mm -hmm. affectionate. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. excellent, excellent. So you and I believe that it's important to talk to kids about adoption very early. I certainly yes. resonated with that. And, and I'm somebody who feels like you should be talking to your kids about all kinds of things very early and just make it yes. part of the norm, which is the whole basis of this podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. yes. So I talk to my children about their adoption at birth because mm -hmm. I – 
I felt that I needed to get used to telling the story to them. So by the mm-hmm. time they were old enough to understand, it just was like part of normal conversation. I mean, there was just no, you know, I, I had no problem talking about it and they understood it and it was just an open book. We have photos around right. the house of the children's birth family. We have no question that's off limits. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about talking about adoption. I'd like to talk about it from two perspectives. First, let's talk about it as how to talk to your own child about his or her own adoption and normalizing it. And second, the second part of the question will be talking about how to tell a child who wasn't adopted, but maybe their friend was adopted and you want to talk to them about adoption. So first, can you Mm -hmm. give us some ideas of how, how you feel we should talk to our own children who were adopted about their own adoption? I think it's, uh, like you said, as early as possible, uh, I certainly started that conversation with both of my, my children before they could talk. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to not be afraid of the word. Mm-hmm. So I discuss adoption from a place, from a happy place, mm-hmm. from a confident place, from a place of joy, so that they don't associate the word adoption with something that's fear, something that's negative, something that should be a secret. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, oh my goodness, I'm so happy that I got to adopt you. Mm-hmm. And when they got language and, and older, you know, and ask. What does that mean? They Mm -hmm. had a sense of it. They just Mm -hmm. didn't have the words. So then I could, you know, kind of scaffold it for them. So your birth parents, their families were unable to take care of you. And your parents are the people who provide shelter Mm -hmm. and clothing and food. And if they have the means, travel and these other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And certainly love. They are your day-to-day people. Those are your parents' whether or not you're related to them. And this is our family configuration and it works for us. And then I could shorten the speech Mm -hmm. and they know, you know, as I wrote in my uh, memoir, just as your skin is brown, you are adopted and please take the trash out. You know, it just, it just is. The yes, please. Could you please you take the adopted. trash out? Yes. Yes. Would you please? <laughs> would you please once again, I just asked you a couple minutes ago, would you please go yeah. ahead? And yes. then for their friends, which I got a lot of and still get because now I've got a daughter who's in the younger grades and her friends are learning. Yes. And, but my kids are very open with the fact that they same, are adopted. But same. Yes. So the kids, though, are like, well, what does that mean? Yes. And so I'll tell the parents, unless the kid catches me, and I will, I'm honest, I'll answer and I'll say, oh, well, um, they lived with me, be- they lived with me because their parents were unable to care for me. So mm-hmm. I'm their mommy now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that pretty much kind of does it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, because I'm so matter of fact about it and yes. I don't make it a thing. Yes. The kids accept it like, okay, well, that's it. And that's all. That's her mom. Right. And, and I'm so it. glad you answer it because it's like, ooh, I think that's something your parents need to talk to you about. Like it's like some kind of big momentous thing instead of it just being like something that you can just answer for any child. It's like exactly. not a thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Oh, very good. I love all of that. And I love the way that you speak about it. Um, and and it, it shows that our kids, because they're always 
looking to us to see how to answer those types of questions, that it is mm-hmm. just part of who we are and, mm-hmm. and that it's just a descriptor of who we are um, and and that they can embrace it because it's part of part of them, nothing to be ashamed of. I know a lot of people were worried when we were adopting and oh well how are you gonna how are you gonna talk to them about the birth their birth parents and mm-hmm. and uh, well i mean it, it, that's who they are well don't won't they get confused i don't i parent, children are extremely smart you know they, they really sure they really do understand <laughs> that these people are your birth parents and and we are your parents, we are your mom and dad, right. and here's what we do. And oh, but what will they call them? Well, they'll call them this, you know, this is, <laughs> it's just, exactly. right? And, and, and when we're looking at the photo album, we will refer to them and they will talk about them in that way. And it that's is right. totally normal to us. Um, but I think that's how it is with all of these quote unquote taboo topics that mm-hmm. they really don't need to be taboo unless you make no. them so. Yeah, okay. agreed. Excellent. So, how do you use what happens in the news or mm-hmm. as you say in your book in religion or in in the world both good and bad so from the Trayvon Martin tragedy to Obama being elected to the photos of Jesus you talk about that are white to help mm-hmm. your children understand race racism and possibilities in today's mm-hmm. America Wow. Every day there is some tragedy Mm -hmm. that is in the news. And thank you for referencing the woman in the park. Gosh, I was just talking about it with my husband literally this morning because I saw the video just this morning. And I know that she attempted an apology of source, although she I don't think she said, I'm sorry. She was just saying it it was inexcusable and she was taking some accountability but it was mm-hmm. not satisfactory for many people no. yes no not yes. even a little bit not so even those a little types bit. of things yes yeah and um so we talk about that i started that conversation early as well mm-hmm. and so trayvon martin came up early because mm-hmm. he was five when that yes. happened right. and um, it is so important for parents of children of color, unfortunately, to kind of steal some of our kids' innocence, and it's really to keep them safe, and it's to let them know that there are people who will come for you just because of your skin color, but by the same token, you don't have to be afraid because we come from people who have survived crazy atrocity, mm. and so the election of Trump really shook mm-hmm. not only my son, but a lot of his classmates. And, but he was really worried about it. And I had to explain to him, black people have weathered worse. We mm-hmm. survived slavery mm-hmm. and Jim Crow and segregation. And there's still all out war on black men and black women. And you will be fine because there are people who transcend such nonsense And so we are not going to get stuck there. We won't get trapped there. We are going to remember the people who came before us and laid the foundation so that you can go to school with white kids and it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And you can play lacrosse and you can, um, you know, go to a camp that's specific to black engineers and you can be Mm -hmm. all of these things because that's all of who you are. And we have a right to do it. Mm. 
I want to go a little deeper into this. Uh, I so appreciate what you're talking about here. There are several times in your book that you let us, the reader, overhear you talking to your son about how others might presume him because mm-hmm. he is black. I was mm-hmm. particularly struck by two conversations, one that you just referenced in the beginning of the book and one at the end. For example, you start your book with the discussion of your five-year-old son on the day of that Trayvon Martin rally and your son, after mm-hmm. hearing a little bit about what happened, asked, will that happen to me? And right. and while you reassure him, you add, you need to know that some people will think that just because you are a black boy that you are not smart and funny. And then Mm -hmm. in one of the last chapters, you talk to your son about his behavior in school, a school that is that has a majority of white children and white teachers. You talk to him about being judged, that August Mm -hmm. might be stereotyped as loud, violent, not as good as white boys his age. And you talk to him about not giving white people a reason to call him aggressive or angry. And he wanted to know why. And you say, you're not white and you cannot do what they do. So talk That's about right. that unconscious bias a little, more, a little bit more as it relates really like personally to these children growing up in and how mm-hmm. you're helping your son grow up in a world where you have to cope with this bias. He has to cope with it. You worry about his yeah. safety. You still want him mm-hmm. to have the freedom of expressing himself and being himself and playing lacrosse and all those things as you just talked about, as he's a very mm-hmm. bright and enthusiastic boy. So mm-hmm. how do you deal with that day-to-day stuff? Not just the big things that are happening, like Trump being elected or, you know, as you just discussed, or Trayvon Martin, or but even mm-hmm. the day-to-day bias. How do, how do we deal with that? Well, I think certainly as he's getting older, he's having a better understanding of how race really kind of colors so much of our lives. And so with regard to school, that doesn't so much happen um, anymore. Mm-hmm. And largely because one of the things that we did as parents is we were able to talk to the administration and really stay on them until we were heard. And they heard us loud and clear that. and I very supportive yes. about our need. And it wasn't just for us, it's for everyone's emotional safety and growth and the ability to practice empathy that we as a, as a school community, we're going to have to have very hard, we call them courageous conversations about unconscious bias, about um, receiving an email about my son's behavior and maybe something happened at school. Okay, so I'll give an example. Um, I think he was he was a younger, he was much younger. This is several years ago. And I believe it may have been a rainy day and he was watching a video. So, you know, like rainy day, the teacher put a movie on or whatever Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for their, for their recess. And the other kids were talking. And so he was enjoying the video and he told the kids to be quiet and he got louder because he Mm -hmm. wanted to watch the, okay. Mm -hmm. So the email from the teacher was that, um, he was being aggressive by telling them to be quiet. Mm-hmm. That does not sound like the right word there. Assertive sounds no. pretty and good, but aggressive sure. definitely does not. Right. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. So, and there was another incident in that, that same year where the, he's a tall kid. So he's sitting on his knees instead of on his bottom and the kids behind him couldn't see. Mm. And so that triggered another email from the teacher. And so when we met, because it seemed like I was constantly meeting with them. So this one particular meeting um, we had, I, I explained that I, I checked in and I said, hey, what, what was going on? And he was annoyed that his friends were talking and he wanted to watch the movie. He, um, you know, sure, should he should have sat on his bottom and he felt like the other kids because they were shorter should have moved in front of him. But more importantly, as adults, I said to the teacher, you could have told him to go sit at his desk mm -hmm. and you had control over that situation. So there's, he felt a range of emotions before anger. He was annoyed. He could have been frustrated. He was all of these things. Mm -hmm. And maybe he was being a jerk. Mm -hmm. but, but that did not warrant where we are now in this moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so definitely talking with him about how he conducts himself mm -hmm. when he's in public and, and letting him know that I certainly have his back. So if something happens and it really sounds like there was some bias going on there, I will, you will hear from me. Mm -hmm. So Right. Oh, wow. Of course. Supportive mommy. Okay. I like that. So along those lines, you talk about ensuring that August has a community of people to help raise him and support him. And they're wonderful people, but also people with opinions. Yes. One of those opinions that you bring up that I thought was really important center around a woman raising a black boy. And mm -hmm. as you point out, it's this toxic hyper-masculinity. Others bring up his need for a dad, that he might be soft, he might be a mama's boy, you know, he's gonna mm -hmm. get beat up which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm guessing probably not the case, but um, being <laughs> so tall and, and, and from such a young age, I, I really wasn't fearing for him. It would be like the kid <laughs> who was going to be picked on. But what do you have to say to this? And how are you coping with those messages in, in the lives of your children? Well, at this point, I don't even care. But... <laughs> <laughs> And there you have it. He was, yeah, but when he was younger, it was really sort of off-putting. Mm -hmm. It was like, A, the number of single women, white, black, green, or yellow, you know, <laughs> raising children in this country is high. So, you know, whatever for... I love uh, that you brought up LeBron James, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, come on now. Anyway, whatever. Um, and I think that men who feel some kind of way about that, they should help. I still feel that way. Okay, well, if you have a better idea, well, what is it? Mm -hmm. You know, share your gifts. Yeah, share spend your some time. Share your time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, if you feel like you can do it better, then help. Right, right. Like, let's speak up. But at the same time, mm -hmm. there are some mm -hmm. messages that I know you didn't appreciate and mm -hmm. wouldn't want mm -hmm. your child to absorb, certainly don't want your child to be absorbing that a woman is lesser capable or, you know, that right. they are, they shouldn't be stepping up to raise a boy or that right. men need to operate within this specific man box. So how are mm -hmm. you, how have you dealt with that as, as the messages coming at your son? 
Um, I think one of the ways that I've done it is talking with him a lot. Mm -hmm. So we do talk a lot and I ask him, what do you think? And I ask him, what do you feel? How Mm -hmm. did that make you feel? And I want him to be in touch with his emotions. Well, I did until he became a teenager, but (laughs) then you're like, could you keep a little bit more of that to yourself? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, but you know, how do you, how did that make you feel? What do you think about that? And how would you handle that situation differently? Or what is something, um, what's a different approach maybe you could use? Or when you're holding all of those things and just letting him know that the person who gets hurt in that is him. Mm-hmm. And, and so what's your advice to him for that? He has to let it out. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, and this is why, you know, I've exposed him to different sports and piano and you know Mm -hmm. and and music and art and these different things to help him find his own emotionally safe space Mm -hmm. where he can go to where he can be alone and and work through whatever it is he's dealing with because it's going to come and to not be ashamed of you know how he feels about things and you know express it and let it go and let's keep it moving. Mm-hmm. As a as a sort of follow up to the book, since the book centers around your child, you know, in the younger years, mm-hmm. how how have your conversations evolved when it comes to race and adoption with your son? Hmm. You know, as because he's 13, um, I forget that they're both adopted. So, yes. you know, we don't talk about adoption as much as we used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so now on the ways it comes up, every now and then he'll ask me, well, when I become an adult, should I adopt? Mm-hmm. My daughter's talking and, about that too, that she feels yeah. like maybe she's interested in adopting when she becomes an adult as well. Yeah, so it comes up in that respect. Mm-hmm. And so I tell him that that's totally his decision. Absolutely. You know, whatever, whatever he, you decide. Yes. You know, whatever he decides is, is fine with me. So and we talk about that. We talk about um, when we talk about adoption. I mean, he's well aware that black boys are least likely to be adopted. And he's well aware of the stereotypes surrounding black boys who are in the system mm-hmm. and it's tricky though you know because i don't i don't want him to feel i don't want him to have survivor's remorse right or any type of right he doesn't need to feel obligated that. it's yeah right yeah i just really try to leave that loose and just let him know that for me community i believe in doing community service and it's different for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. And this was something that was important to me. Mm-hmm. So this is why I made the choice and why I was very clear, at least the first go around about wanting a little boy wanting to write what I perceived to be a major wrong. Mm-hmm. And then what about race as he's coming into his adolescence and young adulthood? How is he Mm -hmm. talking about and perceiving race in America? And how is he dealing with that being a a black boy who's becoming a man? 
sometimes it's very, very painful for him. Mm. And as he learns more and more about people being denied the right to vote or taking a look at where, you know, it was it was never it's not a level playing field and it hurts and it hurts him sometimes. And he has asked me, why do they hate us so much? Mm -hmm. And as a mother, it's very painful to hear that question because it's a big question. And, you know, the simple answer is because we are black people, but that's dumb. It's like, why would someone who doesn't even know us, why would systems be put in place to restrict our progress just because of our origins or what we look like or hair texture. And so, yeah, it's hurtful. It's it's very mm-hmm. hurtful. And I think it impacts him to the degree, like he, he every day they go out and they ride their bikes and what have you. But at his age, I was all over the neighborhood, out the neighborhood on a bike, you know, running wild and free. And I've encouraged him, like, you can go beyond over a couple of blocks. We live in a very safe neighborhood. And I'm like, go for it. He won't. And mm-hmm. I think part of it is he may be concerned that it's just not a good look. So, mm-hmm. you know, at some point he will get his courage up and, and he'll venture out. But um, it's hurtful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just to put high beams on that for those who are listening, it, it really then does become the responsibility of every parent, not just yes. not just you, not just those who are single moms, not just those who are black parents um, and, or any parent of color, but really of anybody, any parent to then raise these issues to yes. their children. Ask them, what do you think about it? Mm-hmm. Just as you mm-hmm. do with your child and and how can we change it? On a small scale, fine. A a small Mm -hmm. scale. I mean, meaning like you can literally just be talking to your child about it and that will help Um, because it's even those little things where you say this is unfair. Um, I remember we, you know, when my child was about five years old, we uh, passed a rally at the same time, the exact same, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had also passed a rally and we were talking about why they were you know why people were there and what was happening like that same sort of situation Mm -hmm. um and and what was going on and and being able to have that conversation with my son and he was full of questions you know why Mm -hmm. but why would that happen but why would people feel that way you know that doesn't make sense we're getting more into those conversations now because one of my uh, son's best friends is a black boy and mm-hmm. so he says, well, I, if something ever, you know, if somebody ever said that, I would have to, I would have to step up and protect him. I would have to, mm-hmm. you know, my son is smaller than him, FYI. But like, <laughs> I mean, it's probably one of the smallest in the class, but he's Uh-oh. very, he's very into justice. My son is okay. very into justice and okay. really is uh, uh, very unhappy with this circumstance. So we talk about it a lot too. And it is part of our dinner time conversations. And I just, I just want to stress that this, this problem becomes 
the problem of everybody, that we have to talk about it and lay it on the table, the dinner table, the breakfast table, and as we're walking through the world so that there are changes ever so small as they become bigger, as we all start talking about it more. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's that's huge and that's correct. And we have to be able to support each other. And I do think that white people do have an obligation to protect children of color, especially their friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, back to my kids school, you know, great school, great families and people uh, who want to know, how can I help? What can I tell my kids? I wasn't raised that way, but I want to be better. Mm -hmm. I want to teach my kids differently. And like you said, it's morning conversation. It's casual conversation yes. in the car. It's if you, you know, we tell the kids, if you see something, say something. It's the same thing. Yes, it really if is. your friend is saying something out of pocket or about, you know, their black friend or Asian kid or Latinx or LGBTQ friend, speak up. Mm -hmm. You know, if you know it isn't the right thing to do. And if you don't feel safe enough or confident enough to address that person, tell a teacher, yes. tell a parent. Yes. But but, you know, but but do something about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Give us your top tip. What do you want people to come away with from this conversation about race, about gender, about parenting in America from your perspective? I want people to read Motherhood So White, not to feel vilified or to feel guilty because that wasn't the point mm -hmm. of my memoir. It's information. Mm -hmm. I want all mothers to, black mothers in particular, I want us to see ourselves on the page. That's number one. That's first and foremost because we are so many different iterations of motherhood. I mean, this is just my story and I'm one person. I have other friends who are very different from me. But what we have in common is that we are parenting children of color in a racially charged country. Mm -hmm. And so then as white mother is still sort of holding down the definition of mother, then it's incumbent upon white mothers to pick up a book. A parenting book that's written by someone who doesn't look like that, by a black mother, by, you know, Latinx mom, mm -hmm. and get to know how we feel, what's happening culturally, and how they can be supportive. Well, thank you for, for explaining that. And I, I feel like even on the, the children's side, we can also include books that show children and even children's books that are diverse. So you have the parenting books that are written by a different perspective. And you also have books that showcase all different types of children so that the children are seeing different people represented. I think that's all very important because literature, you know, does help what we're watching on TV helps. These things make a difference and do make an impact on our kids. Absolutely. Uh, so give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you and your book and the work you're doing? So if you would like more information about Motherhood So White, a memoir of race, gender, and parenting in America, you can go to my website, www.nefertitiaustin.com. That's probably the most comprehensive mm -hmm. 
place. And I am on social media. Um, I don't post all the time, but you can find me on Instagram. I am Nefertiti Austin. Twitter at Nefertiti Austin or Facebook. Same. And um, and I pride myself on responding to mm -hmm. people. I do respond. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. And all of your links will be on the show notes. So anybody who's driving or running or doing anything that uh, makes it so they can't write things down, I've got your back. And I want to just thank you so very much for your insight, your strategies, and just how much you are showcasing this issue that we're having in America. I, I just appreciate all the information that you are relaying and and helping us to think through this these challenges so thank you for coming on the show today thank you so much for having me well i've got my takeaways and sweet friends i know you have yours so let's discuss them let's come up on facebook go to the dr robin silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash dr robin i'm also on instagram under dr robin silverman i'll be going back and forth with nefertiti and i will be creating memes that you can share because there are so many things that were said today that should be quoted and posted and shared with a lot of people. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about these issues and the strategies that were used and then use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please go to drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you and I'm right there with you. And perhaps you heard something today where you realize, mm, I don't think I handled that issue quite correctly. Maybe I said something or didn't say something when I should have. That's okay. You can always do it over. And when there are moments that doubt our know-how and our choices and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.